Welcome on into the show. It's Denny. He's Benny. Snare campaign provocateur, Mr. Ambon Real Estate on Heat Island. This dude, phony as hell. Get out of here. Whoa, You're in whoa, fucking whoa. trouble. What are you <laughs> talking it's about? It's Benny Horowitz. Lakers What's up? In six. <laughs> Lakers in six. Said it weeks ago. I oh, stick my gosh. All I texted you is that Jimmy Butler had a heroic performance. That's all I texted you. You're projecting because you're stuck on Heat Island and you can't get off. I have to be there. In the paradise. Like, I'm in Nassau at that beautiful hotel with the Lakers, and you're, like, in a shack a few miles down the road on Heat Island. I'm comfortable still. You're you're just projecting. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm here. I found my hero. I got Jimmy. I got Jay. We're back. The Heat are back, baby, for one night only. But the Heat are back, and I'm stoked. What's up? But <laughs> how was your weekend, though? What about that hero snarl? Oh, that was about. Ooh, that's like me tough. coming into this podcast today. I got to hit you with the. This is great radio. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's see. It. Oh, that's bad. That's real bad. That's real bad. Oh. Doing good, man. I'm out in the country. Whatever I deem the country, yeah. <laughs> learning how to do things out here. What is yeah. the one thing you've picked up in your short time in the country? Poison ivy. <laughs> Could have been worse. Over most of my body already. <laughs> I knew what I was going to do is get overly ambitious, you know, get out there. It's like a, an adult playground. And there's a reason people wear, you know, good boots, long pants, <laughs> you know, things like that. Here's what I'm, this is what. Look, I'm going, like I said, we've talked about this on the program. I'm going in open. I'm an open book. I need to let my new situation dictate what I do. But there's going to be a learning curve. And with things like chainsaws, which I just bought, it could be a pretty bad learning curve. So, so the thing I need to try to do now is be very careful, not chop anything off of myself while I'm learning. I hope I make dumb mistakes like oh you put the leaf pile on the street wrong not a dumb mistake like hey you started talking to someone when your chainsaw was on you chop part of your leg off which apparently happens often do you know these people wear chaps yeah i didn't know there was chainsaw chaps <laughs> i didn't know you needed to mix oil with gasoline when you start them i didn't know any of this shit man i'm just i'm a freshie i'm like this is like a reverse midlife crisis, you know? Benny, Most I got to tell you. sports cars, I'm, I'm buying lawn equipment. Do not let them convince you that raw milk is okay to drink. That's all I'm going to say. As, oh, a, as someone the that's wrong lived guy, in the man. country and with you're farmers. You're the wrong guy. You know much how, how much unpasteurized <laughs> milk I've drank? You know, this is a hippie household, man. That, you're, we're way beyond that. We're drinking like weird animals' milks you don't even know about. Making homemade almond milk and shit. Oh, you wouldn't even know it, Danny. It's mac- next level. It's next level over here. You know, the profound influence that you've had on me and the fact that I don't think I've had real milk in maybe a couple of months and the fact that it's all almond, it's all... What's the other one? Oat? Oat people drink? Oh, see, yeah. see, now I'm full on oat. So, so here's the problem, right, with oh. being a hippie. is like... It's like every year or two, there's some new craze. Yeah. You know, there's like this. Oh, everyone's got to eat this. Everyone's got to wear this. So like quinoa comes into the picture. Yeah. And all of a sudden, apparently like Peruvians or something are being absolutely screwed because of our need for for tons of quinoa. Hmm. Almond milk. 
apparently almonds take like an insane amount of water to grow almonds and California has no water. So almonds are bad for the earth. So now I've moved on to oats. I think it's a nice creamier milk. Apparently it takes less water to produce. And now I'm just waiting. Now it's a waiting game to see who Americans drinking a lot of oat milk is fucking over. It's going to be somebody soon. I mean, that's we'll have to switch to another, another nut. Not, we're not even allowed to call it. You, you know that the milk industry Nut-milk. protested and they're not even allowed to call them milks anymore because the milk industry got sad that huh. non-dairy milks were getting a bigger industry. So now that's why you see that they're all like non-dairy drink yeah. or this or that because the milk industry is such a Goliath that apparently only milk can be called milk. By the way, you know who is a... Uh, who has been profiting off of uh, the rise of silk milk in a, a big way? The Rock. Andre Iguodala. <laughs> no, no, no. Dwayne Johnson, our future president, Jane, uh, Jane, Jane, Jane Johnson. That's a whole that's other person. The um, All right. If The Rock runs for president, right? Yeah. Who's he choose for vice? Oh, right it's got to be a, a pop star himself, Vin Diesel, right? Do you hear this Vin Diesel song? I didn't. But I think I think The Rock would have to go have to go with like someone more talented. It would be like The Rock and like AOC. Oh. You know, he is a centrist and she's pretty progressive. So, you know, I think that may be a nice little marriage right there. Rock Vin Diesel is like it's it's like two shots into the same pool. You know, you got to you got to cross pollinate when you Sometimes it's a two tequila night, Benny, you know this. <laughs> yeah, his his uh, cheat days on Instagram are dangerous for a normal human, you know, because I see the Rocky in like a whole pizza and a handle of tequila. I'm like, sure, I can, too. I'm just happy that you uh, were talking about food I don't there. work out six and a half days the rest of the week pretty much nonstop. <laughs> oh, man, there's no good transition for this. Play the music, this day in music history. Well, this one's very near and dear to my heart. An album I've not only spent a lot of time listening to, but a lot of time arguing about, <laughs> which is the Metallica Black album, uh. began recording this day in 1990. Now, let's, let's, let's back up a little here to talk about the argument I always have. Anybody who's my age, 39, yeah. almost 40, who talks about Metallica in a way that they're like, oh, I like Kill Em All. I like Injustice for All. I like Master of Pub. I'm into their old shit. I'm like, dickhead, you were four years old when you came out, <laughs> and you were 10, like me, when Enter Sandman hit the radio, and don't lie to me. The Black Album was your favorite record, and it was the first one you heard. You damn liars. You're not that old. Unless you're 45 and had long hair in middle school, I don't want to hear that shit. It's, it's, it's a non sequitur. So on this day, I remember Injustice for All a little bit because there was a terrifying video for the song One where they used the old film Johnny Got His Gun about a military amputee who has his arms and legs cut off, can't speak, but is still thinking in his head. Mm. This is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. It haunts me to this day. I've never gotten over it. and It's one of the reasons I love Metallica. And it blew them up. They were on MTV. 
It sold 6 million copies. They were number six on Billboard. But apparently they still had no radio and they jumped to Q Prime Management who had just broken Def Leppard and people like that. And they had thought, for some reason, you know, they jumped out of the Iron Maiden Slayer pool because probably of James Hetfield's lyrics, which were a little more relatable and universal and not based in, you know, like Satanism and stuff like that. All the topics that never allowed metal to be in the mainstream before. So they kind of went for it. Like they made like them making the black album wasn't a mistake. Like they were trying to make an epic rock and roll record that was going to break them to the next. So apparently on the injustice for all touring, they had something called the riff tape, which was a collection of 240 riffs that they just jotted down during injustice for all touring. And that's what ended up being the black album. So they needed a larger sound. They called on Bob rock to produce. They liked what he did with the cult and Motley crew. And there was a great quote from Lars about Bob rock in quotes. He said, of course, he said, we're Metallica. No one produces us. No one fucks with our shit and tells us what to do. But slowly, over the next few days, we thought maybe we should let our guard down and at least talk to the guy. Like, if the guy's name is really Bob Rock, how bad can he be? (laughs) Pretty funny. But this led to, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Denny, the documentary of Metallica making this record is one of the, you know, most made fun of things probably in like music video history because they look ridiculous they're fighting with each other they bring in like band psychologists they do all this stuff and and well that's the later documentary but in this one the guys in the band are fighting them and bob rock are constantly at odds and it's kind of this you know rough and tumble metallica california metal band meets like the mainstream and they Mm -hmm. eventually kind of you know, acquiesce to the whole thing. And what we had is the Black Album, which is maybe the most, you know, influential hard rock record of, of the last like 30 or 40 years, arguably. And uh, something that totally changed my musical trajectory. And it's because I'm a person honest enough to say that it came out when I was 11 and I love the Enter Sandman video and it holds a true place in my heart. Yeah, that really happens a lot where people try to claim something that came out when they were like four years old. And it's like, honestly, it's okay to embrace the fact that, you know, stuff came out way before and you discovered it when you did. Like, there's no judgment. And I also got to shame the people that are like, oh, you weren't out when that came out. You don't really fucking know. It's like, give me a break. I found it. It's (laughs) as much as part of my experience as it is with yours. So I got to it eventually. Yeah, exactly. As long as you find it, let's let's just all be friends and keep it moving. And a little insider information on this one is I spent a lot of time standing up for Lars Ulrich. Yeah. And it's because he's kind of a weird drummer. (laughs) He's got a weird style. They even talk about it in the making of the Black Album, how he basically had to, like, you know, rework the whole way he played drums. And, you know, there's all these weird little symbols and things on there that kind of don't make sense. (laughs) But they're there. Yeah. And they're part of the biggest rock and roll songs in history. And, like, that makes him a good drummer. I never understand this argument that you have to be playing a certain way. If those drum parts are on songs 
that were written for that reason and they made it to where they went, then everything was exactly what it needed to be. And those drum parts are brilliant as a result. So I always give props to Lars Ulrich. And my insider knowledge is I know for a fact if you're going to email Metallica's management or something about a request, about like even something small, Lars Ulrich is CC'd on that shit. Hmm. That dude is a fucking boss. And after Cliff Burton died, there may have been no Metallica if it wasn't for Lars Ulrich and his attention to detail and uh, pushing things through. Because James Hetfield is kind of the artistic type in the band he doesn't really want to be bothered with that stuff and Lars always drove the business Hmm. and uh he deserves a little credit for that and and i'm gonna make this t-shirt i told my friends i'm gonna make it the other day Lars was right i'm gonna make (laughs) shirts about that because that napster shit he might have looked like a dick at the time but if everybody listened to him musicians would be a lot richer today And you can purchase that shirt at the tuneup.com. No, 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 just kidding. Make it. Make it. Oh, man. Benny, you know, sometimes I like to use this segment to ask you a question about your own life and time. So here Play we it go. on me. All right. So on this day in 2004, Britney Spears threw a full cup of cola over a photographer. The, the photographer was waiting to take her picture of the singer and her new husband outside a stub, subway Takeaway shop in Malibu, California. Number one, you can clearly tell that I read that off the page because a Subway takeaway shop. Oh, wait, like the sandwich? Okay, number one, multiple problems with this before I get to my actual question. There's no way Britney Spears is eating at that fake bread sub shop in 2006, unless she really bought the Jared hype, but come on. Anyway, my question. Yeah. Have you ever thrown something at a, uh, let's just say, a belligerent fan, and you can sprinkle all the legalese you want in there, uh, you know, to kind of protect the innocent, if you will? Sure. Well, first off, I'd like to note that I do completely believe that Britney Spears was eating at Subway. You know where that girl's from? That's like, that's gourmet food to her. That shit's good. So, yeah, I definitely think she was eating at Subway. Uh, Secondly... Have I ever thrown something on someone taking a picture? No, I have not. But I have gotten into it with people oh, a couple cool. times where, like, someone either, uh, you know, does something just really, you know, out of line, like, like physically, mm. you know, will, like, really cut you off in the middle of a conversation or just, like, grab your shoulder or something like that. I don't do well in those situations. Yeah. Anybody grabs my shoulder in a public setting, I'm going like this. (laughs) Like, it's just who I am. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be grabbed like that. And, uh, you know, but luckily for me, you know, and I've noticed there's a different kind of reverence with certain types of artists. And, Mm. like, when you're a drummer, you sort of do get to, like, mold in a little more. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of... You know, some drummers might find that as something uh, they would wind up being jealous of other people for or something. But now I've seen it so much. I- I'm not jealous of someone who gets that attention because the kind of attention they get uh, 50% of the time is, is attention that nobody would want because mm. it's um, it's not real yeah. and it's strange. And um, so I just watched that movie, the- A Star is Born, the other day. And like mm. the way they portrayed it in that movie... Yeah. Was, was like dead on the way that guy was at the bar 
He's like, dude, my fucking brother-in-law's girlfriend <laughs> thought he was fucking me one time. Like, people just be drunk as fuck and yeah. say the worst shit to you. So, as a drummer, I, I've been in a few instances where I've just gotten to be, like, real with someone. I'm just like, yeah, 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 homie, homie. Take two steps back. Hmm. Just Approach. consider what you just said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. To, like, any human in the world. Yeah. And I'm like, look at you. Look at me. You know what I mean? Like, what do you want to do here? So, there, you know, there have been those instances, but nothing like, I, I'd say the closest it came to anything real was uh, a little, a little sauced after a show in North Carolina and caught some people like, you know, turning around and kind of shooting their phones behind them, uh-huh. trying to take shots of just like us eating in a diner, no. you know, bar stool. And I, I was just kind of like, yo, yeah, 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 yeah fuck you doing you know like you want to ask you want to do something like what are you doing that's weird and and uh the great the great um social lubricant of his time ian perkins (laughs) famously of uh of of many things he he is someone who knows how to get out of those situations easy and before i knew it he was talking to the guys having a conversation i was eating my food and i knew that happened guys got skill All right, Benny. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the newest band across our radar, and that's Guardrail from Chicago. Their new EP, Yikes, is out now on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S.com to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out to date on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it. All right, Benny, a topic that does not seem to be going away. Another movie chain has fallen. Regal Cinemas announced that they have closed all of their U.S. and U.K. cinemas, 538 in total. Benny, you know, I always like to take the macro approach. Obviously, this is devastating for the people that work there and all of that stuff. We talked about this a couple months ago, about the future of movies, the future of cinema, it's kind of tough to see where this is all going, but first, what do you make of this story? Regal closing a lot of their shops, and where do you think cinema in general is going? Yeah, well, as you said, it follows up in that conversation we had with uh, Alan Seppenwall when mm. he was on about yeah. uh, you know the, the future of uh, digital media and all of that. And yeah, like you said, you know, you see it that 40,000 U.S. employees were furloughed, 5,000 in the U.K., and it's a, a result of all these films like James Bond and Mulan and these big, you know, blockbusters that used to draw so much are now uh, being pushed to 2021. And as one Regal executive put it in the article, 
You can't operate a supermarket without vegetables, fruit, and meat. Yeah. So basically, they have these gigantic places that I can't even imagine what the operating costs on a day to day is for a film, you know, for a movie theater, mm. and uh, and not being able to run them. And 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 here we go. But as you said, as sad as it is to say, is this a dying industry? And does setting back to where it was prior to all this happening, is that just a fool's errand? It may be. I mean, conceptually, you know, my kids who have only known what TV or movies is for a couple of years now, they only know on demand. Yeah. They'll only know on demand. But like the days of highlighting a TV guide and waiting for like Wednesday at 830 <laughs> to see your favorite shows with mostly commercials anyway. You're literally <laughs> waiting all week for like 15 minutes yeah. that you'll never see again, you know, in your head. It, you, you didn't know they were <laughs> creating DVDs 10 years later. Yeah. So it, like the idea of making this big thing to like go out to the movies and see, like the movie itself was the impetus to do that. It wasn't all this other stuff. It wasn't mozzarella sticks. It wasn't like the so you just got that because you went to the movies, but yeah. you still needed the movie. And and like you said, I mean, if I think the death of all of this is going to be when see, see the reason movie theaters can still exist to me is the fact that someone like me, there's a bunch of movies I haven't seen right now because I don't feel like getting fucking Hulu because I don't feel like signing up for this. And I know there's movies I want to see. There's uh, directors and actors and actresses that have put things out in the last six months or year that I just haven't seen because I'm not willing to do that. So I think, you know, if it stays messy like that, maybe the movie theater can still exist. You're just going to have to probably make all of them these full service shops now that serve tons of food and drinks. And it's more of like a night out experience in that way. Um, or everything is just going to have to go to streaming. And by the time, you know, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all these things like smarten up and just make this one massive conglomerate, like, you know, it's bound to happen. They're going to turn into cable eventually. Yeah. And it's going to be one source for all of it. And then maybe you don't even need a movie theater anymore. So I, I, I think it, it's sad and I don't think it's going to close for good. But I think uh, the way it reopens and how and at what scope is definitely going to change. Yeah, I mean, you can already see in pre-pandemic, there was already way less movie theaters than there were like 15 years ago. You know, it used to be almost like in more suburban areas, like every other town had their movie theater and stuff like that. But there's a couple angles with this that I think are pretty crazy. Number one, I think people, when they talk about America's place in the world, you know, the, the influence of movies and culture is easily the biggest and most influential export that maybe the world's ever seen. Um, that and, you know, the, the other diplomatic ways of, like, buying world power. But if, if we're keeping it on the movies, you know, having that kind of a cultural, creating the global cultural zeitgeist is, is a pretty incredible thing. I mean, like, how, how many people want, have wanted to be like Brad Pitt, Humphrey Bogart, like setting ideas of masculinity throughout the world and, and uh, what it means to be female and different types of stuff. I, I think that is a way underrated part of, uh, of the mm -hmm. movies that people don't talk about. 
But the other thing with this that really makes me sad, you know, the entertainment business has been shrinking. I mean, I've seen it in journalism. I went to college for journalism, ended up doing radio because, you know, that's the job that you can get. So I originally wanted to do like the whole journalism thing. But and I and, and, and I've seen this in the journalism business. There used to be each paper used to kind of be independent and then it shrunk and to more and more conglomerates and now it's just gannett runs pretty much everything yeah. that and a couple different companies i think yeah. we're seeing that you know with the merger of fox and disney it's getting smaller and smaller which means it's harder for people to break in but the big problem here is independent film and i wonder what happens to independent film because when things are so corporate and it's so hard to make money in one area people are not going to green light a million and five million dollar passion project that's going to lose almost all of that money they're going to want the movie that's going to make you a hundred million dollars because from a dollars and cents standpoint that makes all the sense no pun but, intended but don't you think this this modern I, I think the modern um setup with the streaming services has actually kind of been a uh, a positive uplift for independent films because all of a sudden there's a market and a niche at the at the boardroom for movies that cost under five million dollars right. because they're not being wide release. So I think maybe you know in that regard, different types of films are going to go to different places. Maybe blockbusters stay in the regals, right. and independents stay in the independent shops and stay on streaming, and the two maybe don't have anything to do with each other and we start branching off these industries. Yeah, but the interesting thing, I mean, like, I don't think you're going to see, you know, in, like, in the 90s, like, Miramax was, like, all of these different kinds of films that you hadn't seen before uh, right. of, of all these, like, anti-heroes and, and all these different kinds of stories like that. It's movies like that. It's a kid coming out of film school that, you know, maybe he can't make his movie right now and has to work on a couple different bigger ones and work his way up. So I think the barrier to entry, and, and especially in a year where we've talked about barriers to entry in voting and now in, in the arts, especially, you know, like the whole Hollywood so white thing, I think it just the financial opportunity creates yet another barrier in that respect. Yeah, I see that. So I don't know where this goes, but it's a uh, it's. It's tough for, you know, someone that, I mean, like, it's, that was easily the biggest part of growing up for me was, you know, going to the movies, big night out with the family, and then, like, dates in, like, high school and like that. The first place you could truly feel like it was, like, independent. So I hope it's not going away. I hope this is, you know, like with all markets, there's lulls and peaks, and I yeah. hope we're going toward whatever the next peak may be. I feel you, man. I'm from a Jewish family. You know what I was <laughs> oh, doing on, on Christmas, Christmas in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> the only thing open. Karate Kid 2, 3, and 4. Double Chinese food <laughs> and the movies. That was it. That's all we had. That's oh, all we had. Man. Bunch of lonely Jews in the theater. That's all there was. On that bummer note, let's, let's lift everybody up. Hit me with that Dallas Slice take. Well... This dollar slice take is pertinent to what we were just talking about, okay? Mm -hmm. So if we're having a hard time drawing people into the theaters, if eating fettuccine Alfredo and having a white wine spritzer isn't enough to get you in there, how about you mix, like, uh, cosmetic services and the movies? Okay. You offer facials. You offer <laughs> pedicures. You offer massage. Uh 
you you know things of that nature acupuncture didn't like new york city just get rid of these <laughs> it's like a primo ticket up at the top where you get a full service movie experience uh i think that's that's the way to go food's not doing it anymore i think you need the pe- the manny petty aisle charge double for the ticket they'll wear little headlamps little what headlamps. are these what are these all going to be in Times Square too? Yeah, <laughs> they'll start there. They'll start there. Hey, this is good. This is a good idea. Oh man, you know, just for the uh, the tune-up lawyers, you know, we are not in. Let's just say Robert Kraft may, is not going to be an investor in this business. It's 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 wholesome. It's he's wholesome. Not be an investor, but he's going to be a customer. <laughs> okay, it's a wholesome. <laughs> Nothing below. <laughs> <laughs> all right benny you know as we've talked about a lot on this podcast i am not a parent i don't have kids but i think i came up with a thing uh that parents are going to love uh that may help in the bathroom okay are you interested first before i, I get am to this. very much so all right so i think that you know things in the bathroom a la medicine stuff like that i think bathrooms in the home should have a lucite case a lot like in a cvs where you have to press for assistance before you get it that that way they're not calling you but it comes to your phone they'll be like oh little johnny needs an aspirin in the bathroom let me go run and get it for him and if you want to even get crazy it could have like the talking thing it goes over your sonos be like assistance needed in the uh in the bathroom upstairs please like that whole thing your thoughts. I mean, it's it's pretty good. I think your idea doesn't make total sense because you don't have kids. So wait, wait, wait. Eric, so I can't talk about that's bullshit. No, you man. can, but I'm just gonna <laughs> fill you in. Okay. So their experience in the bathroom is they're not going alone. Yeah. They never go alone. Not even, even if they're they like ten. They're doing. They don't go alone. They need this. It's not like my you know like my little like my boy like just grabs a magazine <laughs> it's just like yo pops give me like 20 you know like it's not like that yet like i'm like where did he go 30 seconds later i hear double check double check <laughs> which means come look at my asshole to see if i did a good job wiping it or not so like this just this already happens uh, i don't need anything more to remind me that they need help in there, you know? I'm usually doing 17 things while they're trying to go in there anyway. So if you're talking to me about a like a bathroom assistant, like someone who will go in with them so I can do other shit, maybe I'd be interested. Benny, this is to keep kids from the age of 10 through middle school not from partaking in Tide Pod challenges, man. I'm trying to keep the kids safe out here. This is not for toddlers, because that would be crazy. <laughs> Imagine... <laughs> Yeah. What kind of sophisticated four-year-old? Oh, presses the button. I want this, and he's just like, "Oh man, that's crazy." Well, some are smarter than others. That's good. That's good. All right. Second half of the podcast, which means we get down to the business end of things. We talked about it in the beginning. I was kind of giving Benny a hard time for his prediction, but Game Three Sunday night, Heat got back in it by a forty-point performance by Jimmy Butler. He was the first player ever to outscore, out-rebound, 
and out assist LeBron in a playoff game, which is pretty crazy to me. He took game three, 115, 104. Um, Anthony Davis kind of disappeared in this game, even though he had 23 points, minus 26 plus minus. So he may have scored points, but his defense kind of betrayed him a little bit, was in foul trouble a lot. LeBron went for 25 points, 10 rebounds in this game. So, Benny, I know that you think it's Lakers and six. We've been over this, but I think there's a chance that the Heat are back in this series. I I mean, look, there's a chance, you know, and especially watching what they did, you know, you're going into last night's game and you're like, oh, no Bam again, Mm. no Dragic again. You're like, oh, okay, this is just one of those years. It's going to be a non-entertaining finals, you know, that's going to be done in four games. Lakers are too good. Like, how could they? And then uh, before you know it, Jimmy Butler is just being a superhero. I mean, like, this game has not much more to do with it than that like that's the narrative this game this was like an old school give me the ball i'm winning this game follow me guys kind of deal i haven't seen something like this in a while and it actually reminded me especially because the way he played reminds me of what like of lebron yeah like it looked like one of lebron with one of those kind of shitty Cavs teams where like they just gave lebron the ball and everything was dictated by him driving to the rim, him getting fouled, or him popping it out to somebody. Jimmy Butler either scored on or assisted on 73 points yesterday. Crazy. It's absurd. He just like, you know, 40, 11, 13, playing, playing mini LeBron, all actions running through him, no three-pointers, everything close to the rim, everything creating contact and creating motion. It was awesome. It was awesome to watch. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, I do think, like, he happened to run into to, to the Lakers on a night. You know, game two, the Heat played a really nice game. They were 50-40-90 in game two. It's, it's not like they played a bad game, and they still lost by 15 points. LeBron had some really awful turnovers, looked out of sorts. It was one of the... You know, one of those times he puts up, what, 25, 10, and 8, and it really didn't look like it at all. And AD got in that early foul trouble. They threw those shifts on him, and he was kind of out of sorts the whole game and not aggressive. Uh, But it's the Heat played great, but the Lakers played really bad. And and that's where I don't think this is something that's going to sustain through this. I don't believe... Miami is going to go ahead and roll off four or five on this team right now. I'm not willing to get into that. You had 19 points from, from Morris and Kuzma and all this solid production from Rondo. I don't know if you want to tweak the starting lineup with Dwight or not. Like maybe um, that could be a good move, but I don't think the Lakers need to worry too much. And I think they should go into the next one as aggressive. They did. They'll probably be fine. And even if Bam and Dragic come back, which versions of them do, you know, they found, I hate, I, you know, I hate to bring them, like, bring them up in this way, but Kelly Olenek has played really good minutes yeah. the last two games. And that offense does run a little bit differently with a proper three-point shooter playing that position. So even if he's, uh, uh, if Bam comes back, I still think you need some of those Olenek minutes to, stretch the floor and get something else going, which which 
Spolstra hadn't discovered yet in this series. So uh, I think it could be uh, really, really tight. I don't see any blowouts or anything like that coming up. But Lakers in six is still strong. I've never went away from that, and I think we're still we're still safe on that. Yeah. If anything, I went from Lakers in a sweep to Lakers in six. That's what <laughs> happens. I think this entire series is going to come down to can the Heat limit the Lakers getting offensive rebounds? Because like they did last night, yes, you know the Lakers won the battle on on the glass of, as they've done since since Bam went down. In the first two games, they were absolutely getting second-chance points. A lot of that, some of them led to kick-out threes. Other than were 80 putbacks. They limited that in game three. And honestly, it was the difference. And you heard Jimmy say to Rachel Nichols after the game, if we can do that in game four, we have a really good chance to win. Now, this, you know, Benny, and I've said this to you the entire series, right? This is a huge series for Frank Vogel, not just because he can win his first championship as a coach, but LeBron can only take you so far. Ty Lue has had to show what he's made of in, in coaching situations. Um, and any of the other coaches that he, he's won a championship with, I mean, Spoh's proven himself. But this is, what is Frank Vogel going to do here? And how good of a adjuster is he in series? Spo is really good, but now the shoe's on the other foot and it's Vogel, time for Vogel to step up. I think Frank Vogel's going to look real good if Anthony Davis, arguably, like, you know, maybe after the end of this, the best basketball player in the NBA decides to play. That makes coaches look real good. Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis, best player in the game. NBA? At the Dude. end of this, at the end of this, if he, you're going to watch this turn, okay? You know how he hasn't even been in the discussion until now? When they start talking about two-way, okay? Two-way yeah. players in the NBA. Anthony Davis will be in that conversation every single time after this. I mean, yeah, he's... I'll call it now. He's all, he's already in, like, the top 10 conversation. Yeah. You said best player in the NBA, and that's crazy. Getting up there. You got to be consistent. Four first-team All-NBAs. I'm saying he's not there yet, but I'm saying if this gets done and he dominates the rest of this series, he is among that group and in that list from now moving forward. I think the narrative of this one is going to be this one is LeBron's, but next year if they get to this area and they win a title, it's a 100% 80s championship. But this one goes on LeBron's ledger. I mean, already, though, I feel like AD has taken a bigger piece of the pie than some of the second fiddles have in, in like, now, this is all being said that they're going to win, okay? Yeah. We yeah, don't yeah. know if they are. He might win, you know, but Anthony Davis, I don't see being looked at as like James Worthy or Scottie Pippen or, uh, you know, Kevin Love, (laughs) (laughs) you know, even even late stage Dwayne Wade or whatever, you know, whoever, Mm. you know, LeBron played with like he's in, in the pantheon of time when the numbers show up and when the age of LeBron shows up, I think this is going to be like a, a toss up. I think he lost his MVP in this last game. Since LeBron still put up numbers, yeah. but but yeah, this is in the in the great scheme of things, Anthony Davis is is etching himself into stone. I think when you talk about his legacy, though, those years in New Orleans are always going to be held against him for better or for worse. I mean, maybe he wasn't put in a big position to succeed, but he has not had to be be the guy in a playoff and championship situation. So even if he wins a championship and multiple championships with the Lakers, I still think that people are never going to give him his proper due, and it's it's 
honestly a, a real Kevin Durant situation. Like, oh, I couldn't do it on my own. Let me go to this other team. So I know a lot of people always give KD a, a hard time for that, and I think we could see that same thing happen with Anthony Davis. We'll He's see. He's young, though. He's young enough where I think, like, a lot of players don't win their first chip till they're 26, right. 27, Michael Jordan being one of them. Yeah. So I think uh, if he goes ahead and rolls off, like, three of the next four or yeah. something like that, New Orleans is a blip in his history. I mean, if you look at, like, guys who have left teams to go to the Lakers, right, and, um, and I'm talking about Kareem, he at least won a title with Milwaukee. So then if you win a title and decide to leave somewhere, it's completely fine. But when you leave a team high and dry like he did, I don't know. It's tough. It's it's not a stain, but you it it's a faint trace. I'm gonna, I'm te- I'm gonna text Kevin Garnett right now and tell him you said that. Oh, please do. Let you two square please up. Please do. Please <laughs> do. Doc knows where to find me. <laughs> and just one last thing from us, you know, uh, we we love talking about the coaching carousel. And this past week, Doc Rivers fired by the clip. Well, okay, let go conscious uncoupling however you want to put it <laughs> conscious uncoupling. ends up in philadelphia uh and now he's got to handle the management of egos yet again in two young stars that have accomplished absolutely nothing in ben simmons and joel Embiid. benny i really like this move i think it, it, it matters how him and elton brand can work together elton brand played for doc so that's going to be that's already a great relationship and it really seems from the meetings that they've had that they are on the same page which is more than he could say with steve bomber I think that this is a massive fit, and honestly, I've always kind of rooted for Doc, and I hope that we get to see at some point Doc get his revenge on the Clippers. Yeah, I, I like it too. I mean, I think Elton Brand texted Doc Rivers, <laughs> you save <up>? my job, <laughs> save my job, please, because, you know, I don't think anybody as in a GM position has made splashier moves that have kind of really failed yeah i mean if you look at it especially in the context of this season i mean imagine if that philly team from two years ago you know the one with a couple shooters on it the one with bellinelli the one with shamit (laughs) the one that actually had a little you know a little breadth to it and could do a couple different things on the court imagine if they were in the bubble that team could have won this thing yeah you know and he went ahead and he bet on tobias harris over jimmy butler Okay, I know there's other elements in place there where yeah. Jimmy Butler, you know, was obviously dogging, dogging Simmons and stuff too hard, mm. and and they obviously couldn't take it. You know, you put him in the wrong kennel. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not only that; it's it's throwing Landry Shamit in that trade. It's passing on Mikhail Bridges, who's you know yeah. from you know Villanova and Philly, and like was dying to come there and taking Zaire Smith, who barely played. There's a bunch of guys who could have helped them last season that they just passed on didn't fill the holes you know you lose jj reddick and you don't fill it like it's just uh it was bad management all around and by the end of the season you saw a collection of six ten players none of which you could shoot and like you know just this bizarre uh conglomeration of players so i think the first thing that's going to have to be reconciled obviously is Embiid and simmons where they're at it's been proven time and time again in this league. You don't have to like each other to win. You don't. Yeah. Those two might not like each other. It doesn't matter. They're both like superstar talents, and Philly is smart that you fire a coach, you fire a GM, you do everything you can before you give up one of these guys mm. because they're too hard to get. Yeah. And, and that's why I think they're exhausting all options 
before they have to split up this group. Because if you lose one of them and one of them goes and does something else, especially now in sequential with Jimmy Butler doing what he yeah. just did, like it's the ultimate, you're the ultimate fool for that. Um, so I think if anyone can do that, it's Doc. I think he's got the kind of respect, especially already having a chip, staying in the East that long, having the relationships he does. I think he could figure out a working relationship. He seems to be that kind of coach. Then also, they need to address uh, Al Horford being a bench player for good. Yeah. And if you can convince Al Horford at the price he's on and at the star power he used to have to commit to being a, a 20 to 25 minute a night guy, first piece off the bench when one of the bigs needs a spell, that would help too because obviously those uh, Embiid and Horford on the floor together is uh, an experiment that is not going to work in this NBA like no. at all. So I think those are the two big things that need to be reconciled by Doc Rivers. Elton Brand needs to go out and get them some shooting yeah. this offseason. Doesn't matter who, anybody. Hmm. Imagine that team with Duncan Robinson on it. You know, <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't drafted. Go find someone. Yeah. And, uh, and then Philly's got a good chance. But I, I like it. And I you know, remember when you brought up D'Antoni on this program, yeah. I said, ooh, yeah. don't do it, don't do it. And I think this is a much better yeah, no, I do too. And as you know, we talked about when we've talked about the Philly job a number of times. It's all about the development in the two-man game. I mean, we saw how this worked for Denver and their run. They have similar pieces where if they can get that pick and pop, and also like like a pick and roll kind of game between Embiid and Harris, Embiid and somebody else. I think that's going to open up Simmons on the wing, and you know. There's a great Netflix series that Doc Rivers is on, The Playbook, right? And he talks about uh, his leadership philosophy during that Boston Celtics run. And he's all about bringing guys together. Uh, he's notoriously, and, and, and I say notoriously in the most respectful way, a player's coach that kind of got him in trouble in this last season with the Clippers. So I think if he can have everybody buy into that Mbutu philosophy that the Celtics went all the way to the championship with i think that they've got a really good chance but before any philosophy you need personnel find someone if it's not gonna be tobias harris find someone who can play that pick and pop with joel Embiid. i, I mean i think you also might tobias it's not the tobias harris experiment isn't done yeah. he's never going to be worth that contract but he's a good player yeah and i think he's going to be a uh I don't know. There's something about him. I think he's going to wind up like a Joe Johnson. I think I he's going to be a good impact player for some teams, but he needs to be like a third option, and he's probably going to play till he's like 47. I don't know why I have that instinct. But. All right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at thetuneuphq on Twitter and Instagram. Tune up on Twitch. We've been doing live stuff. We're going to do more of that during the week. You know, we kind of took Saturday off. Forgive us. After game two, didn't get there. Maybe it was because I didn't want to relive the embarrassment of, you know, my, my, my pick just going up in the smoke. Anyway, we'll be on at some point during the week. We'll, we'll let you know when. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind. Number one in your heart. Number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, everyone go listen to the Black Album. This has been the tune-up. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much for checking out the tune up this week. If you want to support our show, support the people that support us. Let's hear one more time for the new Guardrail EP, Yikes, on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. And I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S.com to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out today on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it. <laughs>